Welcome to the DadBod Podcast, episode 15. Play the music. So I feel like it's a it's been a long time. How are you doing? Where are your kids at these days? What what fun phases are they going through? So uh so Christina, my wife, uh was gone for five days. She went to uh an extended family wedding up in the Seattle area. And uh and so I had the kids for two days of work and then the whole weekend and then I dropped at my sister's house Monday till Christina got back. But uh that was an interesting experience this past weekend. Just you know, five straight days, just me and the kids. Found some interesting things. I, I found that uh, my kids now, one of their favorite dates is going to Ikea. And I love it because I take them to the babysitting area. And, uh, and like, I'm going to go shopping. And they just want, like, oh, we'll play the play place. I'm like, yeah, I totally go play the play place. And then they're just being watched by someone. It's like free babysitting for an hour and a half. And, uh, and then afterwards, we get a slushie and a hot dog for two bucks. So they think Ikea is like the best date ever. We may or may not have done that three times over the course of five years. <laughs> what do you do? What do you do? Do you shop for furniture, or do you just do you leave the store? <laughs> do do? I go to the I go to the bed section and I take a nap. And I tell everybody I'm shopping for a mattress. <laughs> do you really do that? <laughs> it's possible I did that. <laughs> oh man, the things we do to survive, being alone with our kids. Any. Any other takeaways you had from that experience? You know, I think it's really healthy for if if you've got a situation where there's one stay-at-home parent, and traditionally, of course, uh, women more frequently are doing this than men, but it's the same. I, th- I would imagine if, if you're a family where dad's staying at home more and mom's working, I think it's just really healthy to have these experiences where your spouse both gets a break, but also um, you get an experience to see what their life is like full-time with kids. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Anytime you can get out and put yourself in their shoes, I think you end up learning a lot and you have a lot of funny experiences too. So it's great. Yep. Uh well we started and stopped potty training since we last talked, I think. <laughs> Wait, started and completed or started and like screw this. Screw this. Screw this. So we had we had Luke sign up for a preschool where he had to be potty trained, so we we had to do it, um, but we ended up switching preschools, and he doesn't have to be body trained for this one, and he kept crapping his pants like every day, multiple times, so he was not interested, and he wasn't, I guess I did a lot of reading around this, and apparently they there are signs, like there are some signs that kind of indicate that the, the child's ready, and they kind of ask more about the toilet and show like some interest in it. And he did not, he hasn't done any of that. So I think we're going to, we're going to wait to see if he shows a little more interest. So yeah, our general rule is at three is there are kids shoot like we're ready. We kept trying it too, but I do think that there's truth to the fact that kids will give you the indicators that you need. Uh, and that's much more indicative. I, I think parents far too often with all sorts of things, try to force things on their kids for what, for their timeline, like for years, I tried to force my kids to eat when I wanted them to eat instead of just letting them choose when they wanted to eat. And just, uh, 
I think life's much easier when you let your kids dictate a lot more of those things and work. You try to work with them rather than fight with them. Yeah, it's way better when you let kids eat at one in the morning. Just just relax, guys. Parents, just let them. Like eat. it's way easier to feed them gummy bears and, and uh, granola bars. So <laughs> we had family we had family pictures tonight, and we fed Luke a lot of gummy bears to try and get him to smile. So that's, that's a, so funny. That's funny you would say that. <laughs> Well, I just want to say it cracks me up the the parenting pictures I see in social media, like on Instagram and Facebook. It's always like these picturesque, like we're hiking and my daughter's smiling and laughing at something, or we're all doing a craft together, and while our hair is perfectly groomed, and we just have a cute little couple drops of paint in our face in just the right spots. And like, I would love to know what people, what parents and and photographers and people do to bribe children to take these poses and get these shots, because these are not candidates. No, I think probably 95% of parenting is learning how to bribe your kids effectively. It's got to be like 95%. <laughs> it's all about it's all about the art of negotiation. When we were potty training, I took Luke to the potty and he just went pee, but I knew he had to go poo cuz I could tell he was showing some of the signs, but he wouldn't admit it. And so he was on the toilet and I was like, "Luke, I'll give you a prize." And so he like squeezed out a nugget. <laughs> He's like, okay, I'm all done, dad. It's like, I know you're not done. I'll give you another prize. <laughs> and so he squeezed out another <laughs> nugget. <laughs> and he's like, I'm all done. I'm like, Luke, I'll give you all the prizes. <laughs> He's like, I'm all done. <laughs> so I just, uh, I just gave away the house in that, in that, uh, <laughs> in that bathroom. Um, the thing is when you promise things to your kids and you think that they're going to forget it, they don't, they don't ever forget no. it. Like, <laughs> They'll forget all the things they promised you two seconds after they say it. They'll forget what they did wrong two seconds after it happened. I'll have when I'm, I'll have Brooklyn or London stay in the corner for 45 minutes or be in timeout in their room for an hour, and I'll come back, and the whole time I'm telling them, think about what you did wrong, and I'll ask them. They have no clue. But at 9.30 at night, when it's 30 minutes past their bedtime, and I've been wrestling with them for an hour and a half to get them down to bed, and they've brushed their teeth, combed their hair, read them stories, the whole nine yards, everything's ready, they're all set to go to bed, and I'm walking out, singing them songs, like, oh, Dad, you promised me a fruit snack before I went to bed tonight. And that's when they play that card, without, without fail. Well, and they always wait till bedtime like that's when they cash in all the promises like remember this this? (laughs) it's like oh you sly dog (laughs) it's the worst and they know what they're doing they do oh they do man luke will remember overnight it always impresses me like we'll say oh we're gonna do this tomorrow and then he wakes up and the first thing he says is what are we doing this (laughs) like oh my gosh that's incredible it's incredible yeah the the selective memories on those kids it's uh yeah something else so do you want to talk about the build-a-bear fiasco yeah do you want to recap uh the story and i'll give you my thoughts so build-a-bear came out with a promotion that whatever age your child is that the the bear would cost that amount right so if your kid was one then you'd pay a dollar to get a bear and so they had this promotion and there were tons and tons of people that that showed up like people were in line for hours and hours to get a -A build-a-bear and finally they ended up canceling like they had to stop right because they ran out of supplies is that what the article said yep 
Yeah, so they had to st- they had to stop, and people were ticked off. Started like tweeting at, of course, they're tweeting at Build a Bear, and complaining and and doing all this stuff. So there are a lot of angry people. A lot of people spent a long time in line to get a to get a bear. So I don't think it was just like I think some of them were running out of stuff, but I also think like they had like you know everyone's got horror stories of shopping on Black Friday and like crazy shoppers trying to save money. I think you had that experience. For parents bringing their kids to build a bear, and I think it got like crazy, like violence and anger, and fights are breaking out. And so, like, I'm looking at some of these pictures, like at the Mall of America. The line is like it's filling up the entire mall. Like, it looks like it's just a crowd of people piling in the mall. It's actually some sort of cockamamie line that's going through, and uh, this it's going through the whole storefront around all of the mall, and. And the line is now officially closed, and I can see people in these pictures of Mall America freaking out. <laughs> but I'm I am just fascinated by by the amount of time people will use to save money. Where if they just worked for that amount of time, they would actually make more money. Like have a paper out and dedicate your time to that paper out, and you'll actually be able to save more money than you would standing in these miserable lines with your kids in the middle of malls, or sometimes outside in 100 degree weather, like. We're gonna wait hours to save to save fifteen dollars on a stuffed teddy bear. That just blows my mind. How much is a build a bear? I know they're they're kind of considered pricey, but I mean to save ten to fifteen dollars, it doesn't seem doesn't seem worth it. But that being yeah, I think it, I think it depends on the stuff that you the add ons and things you tack on there. But I just don't think there's a dollar amount. I mean, I remember shopping on Black Friday, reaching for like a twenty five dollar blu-ray or dvd player and a woman in in line reaching for the last one she bit my hand and i was like i'm out <laughs> like i'm i'm down with this there's no i'm gonna save my money where i'm gonna fight a woman who's biting my flesh for an item and that's when i was like i'm done with this kind of shopping yeah well and i think amazon's largely like gotten rid of it right because you can just like buy stuff from home so i do know people that went and did you know anyone that went because i know a couple people that went and got a bear so oh, i don't know anybody who went yeah yeah, my friends went, that. and they stayed, I think they said, like, three hours to get a bear. And they got a cool bear. It's like a Chewbacca, cool Build-A-Bear. Uh, so props to them. And I think they're listeners to the show. So hats off to you, Nelson. So three hours with your child. Like, I mean, I'll barely, like, sit in a movie with for three hours with my child. So You will barely? Um, <laughs> barely? That's... that's uh. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh... terrible pun. <laughs> All right. I have something to bring up. I know we try and keep it classy on this podcast. We don't like to go into the potty talk, but I wanted to bring up public restrooms because recently I've been in a couple restrooms where I go into the stalls or go into the bathroom and the toilets are just disgusting like people have like peed on the seats and left a mess everywhere and i was just thinking is there a code is there an unofficial code of public restrooms what are your thoughts like if you i mean in my mind if you like pee on a seat or you or like a paper towel falls down like you should be, you should clean that up, right? Am I wrong with that? Is that just me or? So I, we should, uh, we should power rank from worst 
the best of the public restroom scene. Um, you know, there's, I think we can rank them, you know, what we expect, you know, prison restrooms, maybe be number one. Um, have you ever been in a prison restroom? Listen, I've seen episodes of Orange is the New Black, so I have a pretty good understanding. <laughs> um, no, so in all seriousness, though, all right, the worst is going to be like roadside, roadside road trip, uh, gas station restrooms. Those are the worst. Or porta, okay? are we including like porta potties? Because porta potties. Oh, I guess. Okay, porta potties are the worst. Yeah. I mean, if you count those, holy crap, you go into, like, you're knowing the experience can be awful. Part of that is that, you know, you can't truly wash your hands afterwards yeah well and the and the fact that it just goes straight down to the pit the pit ones are the worst where you can like just hear it it hitting the pit pit. and it reeks it just it's gonna reek no matter what so all right porta potties number one roadside gas station restrooms number two uh i'm gonna argue that number three let me see here i have a couple of good choices um Hmm. Movie theaters is up there, but that's more of the middle of the list. I would I would argue the roadside. I would say the middle school the middle school bathroom, a boys' middle school bathroom is worse than a roadside. Well, we should just say boys' bathrooms in general are gonna be worse. Yeah. We're only um, powering the yeah. boys' ones because we don't go into the women's, so that's true. Um well <laughs> I have with my kids on occasion when but anyway, um, <laughs> when there's like a single restroom, like a sure, single toilet. Sure, Chris. Sure. <laughs> but no. OK, so I, I think the middle school is going to be pretty bad. Movie theater is going to be pretty bad. Restaurant, you start to get good. And then I think number one is like most hotels, like unless they're a motel, but a hotel, their public restrooms are like always going to be the very, very top. Yeah. That makes sense. Am I, where am I wrong? No, I think I think that's good. I'm trying to think of. Oh, I think airports. Airports is towards the top of the list. Airport bathrooms are usually notoriously awful. Don't ask me why. When people when people travel, they're like, you can poop on the ceiling and it's okay apparently because <laughs> I think we've seen that. Well, I think the happened. ones that are going to be the best in the best shape are the ones with the least amount of people going through them, right? So airports, stadiums, like those things are just going to get torched. And they build them like, they build them basically like you can clean them out by spraying a hose in there because that's what they have to do. (laughs) That's the only way they can clean those things. That's got to be the worst job. (laughs) Who's hosing down the stadium toilet? Oh, damn it. (laughs) So I'm trying to think of like any place that doesn't have hordes of people using it all the time. They're going to be, they're going to be better just because there's less people. But then you got to consider like the type of people, which is why I think middle school is so high because you have tons of people and they're all super immature like boys that have no control. So, yeah, you generally have really mature boys going to stadiums. Um, (laughs) Anyway, we've digressed from your major point. No, but I think we've set up a good criteria. So the amount of people, the type of people and who's cleaning will determine how good your restroom is. I think that's a good thing. We should submit that somewhere. I don't know where. It's in the ether. Um, yeah, so my main point is, do you feel like there are unwritten rules when you go into a bathroom? Like, do you feel like if if you do something, you're ob- 
obliged to clean it up? Or what, what do you feel like the rules are of the unwritten rules of uh, a public restroom are? All right. I think it's pretty simple. You leave it better than you approach it as. Now, if you show up to a stall and someone has apocalypse now to that toilet, <laughs> I generally go to another one. Or if I'm going to use it, I'm not cleaning that thing. If there's urine all over the thing, I'm not like I'm not wiping that up. You're not wiping it up. So I try to just – I think my goal is to actually – what was not flushed, I will flush. And I've left it in better, better condition than when I got there. But – I'm not the kind of person who's going to do the good Samaritan clean the, the whole toilet situation if it's a disaster. What about you? Yeah, I clean. I'm a cleaner. And part of the reason is because, especially if it's like a single bathroom, if I go in there, suddenly I'm on the hook now, right? So the my least favorite thing is when I go in there and someone's like destroyed it and it just reeks and I just have to, you know, do a quick number one. And I know... The next person who comes in is like, what did he do in there? You know, I don't <laughs> I don't want to be blamed for that. And so when there's like pee on the seat or anything like that, I feel like I have to clean it up. Otherwise, I'm suspect number one and I want to be pinned as that guy. So that's why I clean. So urine all over the seat, fecal matter, you clean it up and you at some point are touching other people's poop and pee. I'm not touching it, man. I know how to clean without it's- touch poo. Well, I'm just saying, like, it's going to leak through the toilet paper. It's not going to leak through the toilet paper. Use paper towels. Are you using the entire roll and just, like, rubbing (laughs) it off with the whole roll? I mean, At some point, you're touching other people's stuff. No, I'm not. I can do it in a way where I don't. I promise you. I I think there needs to be, like, a video tutorial on how to do this that we've released for our listeners. I'll set it up on our YouTube channel. (laughs) I'll set up the toilet and get it ready for you. Do you have that fear of being framed for the smell and for the the streaks or anything? Or do you just not care? You know you know me. Do you think I care what people think? I don't think you care. <laughs> I do not care. <laughs> as long as I'm not the one who's doing it. <sighs> I don't know why I care so much. I just don't want to be pinned as that person. It's embarrassing to me. I think other people feel that way, but I'd like uh, I'd like other people's input. So are you, people out there, are you worried about being pinned for those things or do you not care? So that's what I, that's what I wonder. But I like your rule of leave it better than you found it. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Um, I will say that I do have a pet peeve with the restrooms I go to that don't have changing stations in the men's restroom. Oh yeah. This is less of an issue today than it was a couple of years ago. It's still an issue some places. I've gone to restaurants where the men's restroom doesn't have changing stations, and I straight up change my children with poopy diapers on the tables around where people eat because I'm like, you don't have a place for me to change my baby. I'm not changing them the bathroom floor, and I'm eating here, so you're just going to have to deal with me changing them on the table so you're incented to install this thing because it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's 2018, people. We need changing tables in the men's rooms. Come on. We can jump into our main segment, kind of our main topic for today, and it's kind of a difficult topic for me to articulate um, what I'm thinking around this, but the gist of it is how much does kind of academic research influence our parenting versus um, going from the gut or just asking the people around us? And I, I kind of wanted to get a gauge of um, what people turn or how many people actually turn to parenting books and do they actually apply the, 
the, the things that they learned there. So I posted a few questions. Thanks for if you're listening to this and you answered. Thanks for for answering. Um, I basically asked people what parenting books they've read and how much from those books did they use in their parenting. So what I got were a lot of titles, um, pretty typical books. We have like Baby Wise, Love and Logic, um, One Two Three Magic, uh, and a bunch of other books. So I'll put the f- full list on the show notes. Um, so I got a lot of book titles. I didn't get so much. Some people kind of put how, how they applied it. A lot of people just said, hey, I like this book. It kind of influenced my parenting. So um, so a lot of people read books. Um, and I, I think if they posted it, it, it made some kind of impact. Um, but I thought it'd be an interesting topic to, to kind of dive into a little bit more on um, pulling from like academic research to to form your parenting versus just going with your gut and and I think there's definitely a tension there, and I think it'd be interesting to explore. So when I after that, Chris, what are your initial thoughts or, or points that you'd like to make? So I asked around my social networks and my coworkers who have kids, and and your original question to me was academic research, and so uh, I think I bifurcate the sources here for this discussion to three buckets: one, academic research, people are reading peer-reviewed studies. Um, to kind of uh, blogs and Huffington Post articles and things from Wall Street Journal, New York Times, like parenting articles, and then which is like a step down from the research, and then three is the books. And the books can run the gamut from really good research-backed information to uh, just people's own personal theories um, and even like celebrity celebrities write parenting books, right? So... I think that what I've found in my circles is that the most common is people reading articles and letting that impact them. And I think that the thing I notice is that parents, with when it comes to those articles or, or even anything, were mostly reading things that they that that they were drawn to because it resonated with them. Like people aren't reading, like you're not finding many parents who read uh, Love and Logic who are emotionally tone deaf, right? It's people who are already uh, like emotional intelligence is already important to them, which is why they're reading that book. And so I think there's a little bit of parental echo chambers for what we seek out as parents. We may see articles like a parent who who is pro spanking, who's not going to read all these articles about how spanking is really bad for kids. And I think that's kind of what I found when talking to uh, people in my social circles is people were very prone to reading parenting stuff that that seemed to resonate with them naturally. Yeah, but I'll I- pause there. No, that totally makes sense. Do you think that there are, do you think there are issues with that? Like, I know, do you think people should be like challenging their thoughts or do you think it's an okay thing to, to kind of just reinforce how, how someone's decided to, to parent? I think you should always challenge your thinking and I think it's always good to question and ask things. And, you know, I, I think, I don't think that parenting is an exact science. So it's not like, uh, it's not like, someone's reading a book about how gravity might not exist, right? Where there, there's certain things where we have an exact science and you need to go to the experts for. But with parenting, you're going to have experts on multiple sides of things. You're going to have experts who say that it's totally fine for kids to cry it out when they're falling asleep. And you're going to have experts who say they, they need to be soothed every time they fall asleep from a young age. And it doesn't make one right or wrong. It's just they're different experts. I think because of that, it's always good to challenge your thinking and get different perspectives um, and, and less of just finding experts who agree with you what do you think yeah i mean 
I think at some point in time, though, you have to make the call, right? So you you can do some initial research, but at one point in time, you have to parent your kid, right? And you have to do something. And so what I think is, I think the cool thing about parenting is you see a lot of a lot of people doing little little experiments themselves, right? And and they may pick stuff that works with their philosophies, but most more likely they're picking stuff that just works with their kids, right? Because if something's not working with your kid, you're going to throw that out pretty quickly. Like I know some people that have stuck to some things and like tried to to hammer it out, but I think most of us are just really desperate to to find something that works. <laughs> and so you kind of like go from like resource to resource till you find something that that works for you. And I think I actually think that's kind of cool that you have all these different little like kind of uh social science experiments going on with people. They're just trying different things with their kids and, and finding things that work. Um, I don't think it's always like that. Obviously, like sometimes we as parents can be lazy and so we're not we're not really trying that hard or, or thinking about it. We just kind of pick something and go with it. But 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 I do think that um uh, if you have a screaming kid and they're screaming all the time, you're going to very quickly change your um, <laughs> change the way you do things. So, yeah, I think I think the way I would push back is I think it's totally good to to pick something, go with your gut, and if you're following things that that you feel good about and reading books to reinforce, that's fine. The one thing I really would think that it's most important to challenge your ideas on is if they're just things that you grew up with. I think very often we parent based on how our parents did it and don't question it because that was our experience. I think that's that's when we really need to question is, why are we doing this? Is it because you independently are, you know arrived at that conclusion based on your own thinking before you had kids or based on the things you've observed other people do successfully or you've read books? Or is it because this is just how my parents did it and I, I just haven't thought to question it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, definitely important to to sit down and think through your own um, parental philosophy, but one, I mean, one kind of counterpoint is if you grew up as a, you know, decently well-adjusted person and you feel like you had a good childhood, why not just do what your parents did? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I get that. I just think, uh, I just think far too often we make the realizations that things that our parents did were imperfect, but we make them like way after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I think that's I think it's really interesting because it seems like a lot of parenting advice like I get that there's there's all these different ways you can get it. It seems like a strong way to get parental advice is just from your like social groups and especially from from like your family. Right. You kind of pass that down in the way that you're raised when you go see um, your parents when you have kids, they'll you know, they sometimes will make comments, sometimes won't. And it's hard to to not let those things affect you. And then, and then just the different social groups. Like, I think you'll probably adjust your parenting based off of what the social groups are doing around you as well. It's just interesting. All these different things that influence your, your parenting. Um, and part of the reason that I, I thought about this was I was listening to a podcast and the lady was talking about how, um, they've done a bunch of research and, and basically shown that you don't need to burp your kids. Like burping actually doesn't do anything. And then she made the comment of like, we're not going to see this change for like decades because it's going to take a long time for, 
for people to to basically absorb this. And I kind of thought about that. I thought it was interesting that it seems to me that burping's like effective and it and it helps your kids. So do you like not burp your kids and say, no, the research says I don't need to burp my kids or do you do or you burp them because that's kind of your instinct and what other people have done. And it, it seems to help your kids like settle down and, and go to sleep. I just thought that was an interesting, interesting example. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it's hard when there's, when there's uh, compelling arguments for things, but the research hasn't been fully fleshed out to back it up and support it. And, um, that, that is interesting. I do think it's also part of the reason I think this topic is interesting because parenting is such a, in a lot of ways, a gut level thing, right? It's all, it's like we've evolved and it's part of our, it's part of our evolution to have like parenting feel like, um, like senses in, in how to parent. And so when, when you feel like in your gut, you should be doing something, but then you hear from an expert, you should be doing something else. How do you reconcile that? You know, like, do you go with your gut because this is like evolutionary, it's built into you? Or do you, or do you defer to like an expert who's done a study that you don't maybe may or may not be, you know, a, a very scientific study. So I think that's an interesting kind of pull. Do you feel like you've taken more advice from the books and articles that you've read or from from the people that you've surrounded yourself from your family like you feel like there's a source that that you've pulled more from and then is there a source that you observe other people pulling more from? I think I observe most people pulling things from family either their direct parents, siblings, and I think I think that's going to be the biggest source of influence. I also think it's heavily impacted by two different parents who come from different backgrounds and families melding them together. I think that the trick is to take the best of what mom and dad or or the two parents brought into it. I think there's an art and science to that. I think sometimes we bring in what we think is good and sometimes it's bad stuff and our spouse has to point out, actually, we probably want to do that that way. But my hunch and from talking to others and just my personal life is that Primarily, it's what we observe in our innermost social circles and from our own experience. And a distant second is the stuff that we read. Yeah. I think it's really hard to to read a book and apply it, actually. <laughs> it, like, if you read a book, usually you remember about three or four points from that book. And then to apply is like, you know, probably one thing you apply from that book. Um, and so I think it's a really difficult exercise to read a parenting book and then actually, actually apply it. Uh, has that been your experience? Have you read many parenting books and tried to apply them or do you not mess around with that? Yeah, I think it's hard to apply those books. I think, I, I think, I think that it's more indirect. It maybe changes my thinking and I maybe apply bits and pieces. I don't think I make wholesale changes because I think when you try to make drastic shifts and changes in a short period of time, they rarely stick. But I think the more you read that stuff and if you're trying to change, if you're trying to change how you discipline or how you feed your kids, or if you're really, uh, obsessing over how to to improve sleeping habits, you'll read several books and by accumulation and attrition over time, you'll start to apply those things. But I don't think they happen overnight. I don't think they're drastic. And I do think they're hard to apply. 
Not a lot, not a lot of hard and fast rules when it comes to parenting. There's there's a lot of ambiguity, and it should be because all kids are different, and there's lots of effective parenting styles. I think there's some hard and fast rules, obviously, but not as much as other things. Yeah, probably really bad, really bad. Um, any other thoughts around this? I know it's kind of an ambiguous topic, um, but any other thoughts that you had around it? Yeah, the only thing I would add is it feels like because of the power of the internet and social media and everyone can start a website or a blog, it feels like there's so much conflicting information out. It feels like even like 10 years ago, the amount of information out was much more limited. I feel like it's really hard to parse through it all. And I think it can be very overwhelming and challenging, especially if you're a brand new parent and, and everyone and their dog has parenting advice for you in person. And then on top of that, uh, you know, you have to deal with all the information and blogs and, and books and self-help books and Huffington Post and all these things. I just feel like it's, it's hard to parse through it all and it can be overwhelming. And I think ultimately going with your gut, as you mentioned earlier, and is probably the safe barometer. Yeah, I think that's, that's a fantastic point. And to add to that, I hope that um, through our discussions, we try not to be very prescriptive, I feel like, on this podcast. I think our main goal um, with the topics that we have and the people we have on is just to create a space where people can talk and hear different ideas um, and not make people feel bad about how they're parenting um, because most parents are, are trying really hard. And I think most parents just need to hear you're doing a good job, right? <laughs> like you don't, you don't need to do 500 more things. Like you're doing a good job. And, and we're trying to, to talk to different people about different experiences just so, so people have a, a space that they can come to. And hopefully we're, we're reaching people and they feel as, as they listen to us, have these conversations that um, we're not making people feel bad about their parenting or like, like we're overly prescriptive, um, kind of adding to that noise. Um, because our main goal is, is to kind of create that, that space where people can, can like feel like they're a part of the conversation and feel kind of at home that they're not, I don't know, being, being told what to do or, or judged or anything like that. Agreed. Well said. So I think, I think you're right on with there's, there's a ton of noise out there. Yep. So awesome. Well, good thoughts. I thought that was a good conversation. Um, anything that you'd like to hear from our listeners about um, any questions for them? I guess uh, it, it would be really interesting to hear if anyone ever has like challenged their parenting, their initial parenting instincts and read something or listened to someone and basically came away like, totally changing their mind to some aspect of parenting by challenging a paradigm they had originally believed in. Yeah. That'd be really interesting here. So, um, we will try and facilitate that discussion on, on Facebook is kind of where I feel like most of this happens. Um, so we'll pose that question. Love to hear your guys' thoughts. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening to the dad bod podcast. Please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave us feedback on iTunes, our Facebook page, or our website. 